to another episode of Small Town Gospel Podcast. I'm Alana, here with Alex, and today I'm just going to lean all the way into the obnoxious. We're talking about Calvinism, <laughs> kindly known as the Doctrines of Grace. Yeah. The, uh, so when you say Calvinism, um, like the comics, Calvin and Hobbes, is yeah, that sure. what we're... Yeah, sure. Definitely. No. Um, Sweet what's your beard. Fav- Oh, the reformed guy. Sweet beard, what Danny uh, aspires to be like. Frenchman. Um, Jean Calvin. Uh, yeah, so this is, uh, for those of you who get triggered by even seeing the title of this episode, um, we'll get into the uh, tr- trigger warnings <laughs> and all that here shortly, but um, all we really mean is uh, how... Uh, who is ultimately saved, and how are we saved? And uh, we'll get into the nuts and bolts of this and, and what quote-unquote Calvinism or the doctrines of grace, uh, what we mean when you, we use those terms. But before we get into that, um, I thought we could just spend a little bit of time discussing our own uh, experience kind of coming. I think we were both... Christians before mm-hmm. coming to this knowledge of uh, doctrine and and how salvation works, <laughs> um, it, which is actually interesting because uh, my wife Natalie, she became a Christian and a for lack of a better word Calvinist at the same time. Hmm. Like the Christianity she embraced uh, was from this more reformed leaning, uh, approach to salvation. So, Interesting. Uh, anyway, for, for both of us, and I think for most American Christians, it's almost, um, this is overstating it, but almost like a second conversion yeah. of you, you're a Christian and then sort of the, the entire paradigm that you understand your own faith shifts again sometime after being a Christian. So yeah, what's your story of how that happened yeah so um i obviously just quick flyover i grew up in a christian home but the lord didn't save me until i was a freshman in high school and uh after high school i went to a christian college and had go lopes (laughs) is that what they're called yes Uh, Very intimidating. Oh, yeah. And while I was studying uh, pre-physical therapy stuff, I was also minoring in Christian studies and had a lot of really great Bible classes. And then in each summer of my uh, college years, I would go on overseas missions trips and come home and do summer camp here in Troy. And... Uh, Just taking what I learned and then applying it each summer, I started just having this, like forming my own thoughts on theology and the Bible. And it wasn't until, I think, my senior year of college that I would call you, because I was getting ready to go to the Middle East, and I would call you and Natalie and start talking to you about theology because I was preparing to evangelize to both Jews and Uh, Muslims and I just started asking these really big questions about like what is Israel in the Old Testament what is Israel in the New Testament because what I'm seeing I don't think that it's what I'm like reading about as I'm preparing uh, through the curriculum that we got and I just had a lot of pushback and so we started talking 
And then when I came home from the Middle East, I sat on your guys' couch for hours <laughs> and just started sharing my thoughts and asking my questions and you guys kind of helped me uh for lack of a better term define terms uh and yeah natalie is especially good at that yeah and it just helped me with all of the thoughts that i had and all of the uh arguments and stuff that i was (laughs) alex has his sock on backwards inside out more accurately (laughs) anyways (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All of the things that I had just been uh, grappling with the past four years of Bible college came to be defined as I was a cage stage Calvinist. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and there's also, at, at that time, it, it was newly released, a uh, documentary um, literally called Calvinist. Mm-hmm. And as we'll get into here shortly, I, I would prefer if they called it something else and and if the terms were a little bit different um but it does uh we we would recommend it oh yeah um uh and you can uh, rent it online i think for two or three dollars uh calvinist documentary if you google it you'll find it um but it it does a really good job and it's actually kind of entertaining um in the way it yeah you'll have to watch it but um, so that, uh, I remember we watched that with you, mm-hmm. um, kind of interspersed with the discussions as well. So, uh, for me, I was saved in a Calvary Chapel context and, um, I have primarily good things to say about Calvary Chapels. They are, um, they've been used by the Lord, um, mightily and many, many people, come to know Christ through the ministries of Calvary Chapel. They're uh, very big on expository or expositional preaching, which is uh, a dying breed these days. I'm just, um, we're not going to get cute. We're not going to have a sermon series that the preacher comes up with. It's just like, we're going through this book of the Bible Mm -hmm. and kind of let the word of God stand on its own terms. Um, Calvary Chapel is pretty staunchly uh, anti what we call Calvinism and it is very uh, strongly in favor of uh, prioritizing human free will in mm. salvation. Uh, so I was at that Calvary Chapel and my parents started attending a, a more reformed leaning church that emphasized the sovereignty of God and salvation and um, predestination, election, all those sorts of things. And I was very concerned about my parents' <laughs> spiritual well-being. Um, and I, I thought, man, they're, they're believing in this like tyrannical God uh, and they're uh, dismissing the concept of, of human free will and this is very dangerous. And so uh, one time they just had this couple over from from uh, their church and I happened to be there uh, for lunch and the fellow, his name was Ray, um, he just sat me down and we, we turned to Ephesians 2 and he said, no, uh, no agenda here necessarily, just I want you to work through Ephesians 2 and tell me what humans do and tell me what God does. Mm. Um, 
and basically within 10 minutes i i was like oh no <laughs> all of it is crumbled uh, <laughs> um and that doesn't mean i i you know that day abandoned um my former views on things but that was the beginning of the end um and it eventually got to the point where uh the the church that i um was teaching at I, it became a point of conflict where the elders pulled me aside and said um you're you're teaching this sovereignty of god thing that our church doesn't agree with or approve of something's got to give here and that's um sort of one of the factors that led me to ultimately leave and go to bible college and that whole thing so interesting uh, yeah uh that's kind of our personal history with this um so we'll go ahead and start getting into the actual issues. So um, first, just a flyover, um, and then we'll get into what's called the points of Calvinism. Uh, so what's being discussed or what's the debate about on this whole topic? Yeah, I guess one of the biggest debates in all of this is who receives salvation how is it received and why yeah or um putting it in the terms of free will um whose will or whose decision uh is at the very very foundation of of salvation salvation. Mm -hmm. um so so is it my choice or is it god's choice Mm uh and we we lean um very strongly at this point uh, and and think it's unmistakable from Scripture that it's God's choice, mm-hmm. and that um, our choice is a response to His choice. Yeah. Um, so one, just before we get all the way into it, one mischaracterization or misunderstanding of these teachings is that uh, we're saying that humans don't have a decision to make. That's clearly not biblical. Yeah. Um, every biblical command comes with an implied decision on a human's part. Mm-hmm. Will I obey or disobey? Uh, the question is, can we? Do we have the ability, the capacity to do the right thing, what God is calling us to do, apart from him yeah. um, initiating? The Lord changes the heart, and then the decision is made, or the decision is made, and then the Lord changes the right. heart. Yeah, so that's what the debate is, uh, kind of what comes first, chicken or the egg. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, we just on this flyover piece of it, um, a very important uh, passage for this is from John 1. Um, It's one of the the iconic book introductions in the entire Bible. And uh, so John writes, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, that's the Jews, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So if it stopped there, we would go, okay, the determining factor is you either believe or don't believe. It's it's the human's responsibility. But it continues. Um, It says there in verse 13 who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of god so it it specifies explicitly it's not due to human free will Mm -hmm. 
it's due to God's will. Yeah, and um, you just referenced <clears throat> Ephesians 2 that goes along with that. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Uh, so it's pretty clear. There's so many more passages that we'll get into uh, that the doing is of God, not right. of our own works. Yeah. And and even there in the Ephesians 2 passage, uh, even the faith, it, it uh, Paul explicitly says, the faith is not your own doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the faith itself is a gift. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we, we think it's just very clear, very plain from Scripture that salvation is exclusively... Uh, a work of God. To use a couple fancy terms, uh, another way of understanding uh, this debate could be uh, the debate between monergism or synergism. And uh, mono means one. One power is behind our salvation. Sinner would be uh, not like we all sin, <laughs> but S-Y-N. Yeah. Um, we we work in sync with God mm-hmm. for salvation. And uh, scripture... Uh, to me, is just very, very plain that it is God and God alone who uh, causes the new birth to yeah. happen. So uh, that's the overall issue. Now, real quick on this whole terminology and the pros and cons of of referring to it as Calvinism, claiming um, Calvinism, <laughs> yeah, flying the flag, so to speak, whatever. Um, uh, why? Uh, few reasons why I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, I'll, I'll start with the least important and, and work up to uh, the most important. Um, first of all, um, it's unlikely that John Calvin himself would have <laughs> been a Calvinist yeah. in, in the way that we uh, currently understand it. Um, so that's a little bit funny of like um, his name and likeness is slapped on stickers and oh uh, uh everyone kind of claims him and there's just certain uh things that he probably himself wouldn't have agreed with yeah. um uh so that's the least important next would just be um it is one of those triggering words and Definitely. people make assumptions um and sometimes it can just be uh counterproductive yeah uh so I, this has happened uh, even in my teeny tiny little ministry um, quite a few times. Uh, I will teach quote-unquote Calvinism without using any of the terms. The trigger and, words. And people will come and say, oh, that was great. I, I haven't considered that. Thank you so much. And then those same exact people hear the trigger words and they get mad and storm yeah. off and leave or you know whatever yeah. it's a weird uh phenomenon yeah i've even had um i guess just in the category of when you lead with i'm a calvinist people kind of put you in this box of reformedum that's got this negative connotation attached and I've even heard of people negatively referring to our church as, oh, you're that reformed church in the area. <laughs> um, and so even in our tiny little town, there's just because of those some of those things, it's like this negative thing of like right. the reformed church. <laughs> so, right. And there's no shame in it. 
Yeah. Uh, like, I'm not ashamed of my reform stance. I would love to, like, talk to people about it. But when you do slap labels on things, the discussion goes less of a discussion and more of, like, a let's debate, let's fight. Right. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, and then for me, the the most important reason why I'm I'm uh, though when rightly understood, I am a Calvinist. Why I don't generally uh, use that term comes from First Corinthians one, um, and Paul says, "I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, that there be no divisions among you." but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. It's been reported uh, to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? And he goes on. And so to, to me, um, if you have an entire belief system named after a guy... That seems to be contradicting what Paul's saying here pretty blatantly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, because it's the term that people use to refer to this set of beliefs, when there are contexts where we're able to explain the beliefs and we're able to explain we truly are simply trying to be biblical, mm-hmm. we're not simply following this one guy, um, fine, you know, you can call us Calvinists if you want, uh, but that would be the the main reason why I'm a little nervous about it. So. Yeah. Um <clears throat> just as like a fun little thing. There in our own safe little circle, it's fun to joke and prod and jab at <laughs> uh the terms, the terminology and to be part of the Calvinist circle or the reform circle or whatever. And so there is a lot of like fun when we all kind of agree right um but to remember that like when it comes to church unity that above and beyond is way more important than my silly labels (laughs) um yeah yeah and there there's even a funny um subsequent little teasing and jabbing thing of because there's people who think like well i'm calvinist so i'm reformed and then there's like the reformed people are like oh please you know um and so it's like man these discussions are so stupid we're not reformed because we don't (laughs) baptize our babies right sorry Riker. uh anyway so we'll go ahead and now just get into the five points Um, of Calvinism or the the pillars of the doctrines of grace, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so uh, one thing to take note of just simply historically is that these were um, these points came out in response to uh, five articles um, of remonstrance. Um, and you can Google that sometime, but they they essentially articulate the opposite yeah. points of what we're about to say. And then uh, at the Synod of Dort, they uh, came to these five points. Um, and that's just how they had um, blog battles back in the day, basically, <laughs> is they had all these people with funny-looking wigs, and they would meet and feel very important about themselves and uh, have important decisions about church unity and policy and theology. So uh, that's the history there. Um, what is the first point of... Calvinism. 
Uh, well, first of all, I would like to point out that while they were going back and forth, uh, the Calvin clan came up with the cooler acronym because Tulip is way cooler. Oh, by far, yes. <laughs> um, I would just like to point that out. <laughs> um, but anyways, the T in Tulip is total depravity. <laughs> uh, she's packed in her bags and going home uh so this could also be you'll this is a common theme and theologians do this of wanting to be precise so it could also certainly be a total inability yeah um so depravity talks about the moral quality mm-hmm. of human nature mm-hmm. uh in other words we were created, humans were created in the image of God, and he saw that it was very good, and there was no sin, no imperfection. The The relationship between God and man was very intimate and wholesome and strong. The question then becomes what happened at the fall? Mm. What happened to human nature um, when the first humans rebelled against God? And... Uh, there's a pretty thoroughgoing biblical uh, teaching that would seem to suggest that uh, something very bad happened. Um, So I'll read here from Romans chapter 3 about what Scripture has to say about human nature. It says, It is written, There is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. They have together become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat's an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so that's this like thoroughgoing, the, the depth of human thinking, speaking, and behavior uh, and the scope includes everyone. Mm-hmm. It, it says there's not a single person who even looks for God. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a grim picture of humanity for sure. Yeah. When I was first grappling with all of this, one of the verses that really uh, I just struggled with, I guess, uh, coming with from the free will past was Ephesians two, talking about how we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Um, and I just remember sitting there being like, how then did I choose the Lord if I was dead? Um, like my sin made me dead and everything I did in that deadness was dead. Um, how then was I made alive? Right. And, uh, that was, I think one of the first questions that I even asked you was like, what does it mean to be dead and then choose Christ? Yeah. Um, like, what does that What does that mean? What is that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so read Ephesians 2. <laughs> well, and, and that's really interesting because on, when, when anyone listening who's a Christian, uh, when you think of your, quote-unquote, testimony, uh, your salvation story, your conversion, mm-hmm. um, we all have a before and an after. And after, we all have factors that led into um, a decision. Mm -hmm. And so experientially, it 
feels like and it seems like well I made a decision a, a decision mm-hmm. I had a choice there there was a will and I could have gone this way and I could have gone that way uh, so that's that's one of the interesting experiential uh, obstacles yeah. to these doctrines yeah and uh I just remember thinking through how the Lord saved me and thinking like I'd heard the gospel so many times before the Lord saved me so many times like growing up in a Christian household from the age of three on until you're 14 uh, I heard the gospel weekly almost for my whole life Mm -hmm. and yet it wasn't until I was 14 that like I heard it with the change of heart that goes with um and that to me uh is where where the wrestling happened of like how can you hear the gospel one day and it means absolutely nothing to you and it's just like toss it in the back keep going in my sin uh and then the next day it's like oh i choose christ um yeah that was a good wrestling point yeah absolutely and so the this deadness um does make uh and Paul, if you know Paul at all, he he is a very precise writer, mm-hmm. and he uses the figures of speech that he does um, very intentionally and purposefully. And so he could have said sick, he could have said uh, hospitalized or immobilized or whatever. Um, and he used the word dead, which Mm -hmm. means you're unresponsive to stimuli that you cannot, uh, be woken up. It, you're, you're a goner. Yeah. One Um, of the illustrations in the Calvinist video that I just love is, uh, you're not on the water in the life raft waiting to be saved. You're at the bottom of the ocean dead. (laughs) Yeah. Your fish food. Yeah. 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 So, um, and and that's where some of these images come come to mind and and uh depravity starting with depravity or inability is so important because it um if that is true then for anyone to be saved the rest of the five points have to be true mm-hmm. or or else no one will ever be able to be saved yeah. because Romans 3 is true about the human condition because we are indeed dead in our sins uh what we're looking for is an Ezekiel yeah. situation where there's dry bones. They're not like recently deceased. They're, They're like dry. Uh, y- y'all all the way dead. You dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, there's not even any scraps left for the hyenas to mm-hmm. to chew on. Um, and to that valley, God brought them back. Brought up. life mm-hmm. um, in a way that the bone didn't think. I'm going to choose to be alive. God did a miracle, yeah. and God did it single-handedly. Yeah. Uh, so that's total depravity or total inability. Uh, do you, in your fallen state, have the ability to uh, choose what is right, to choose God, to obey God, to follow his commandments? Scripture is very clear. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, you cannot, I cannot, we cannot. So then, um, so that's T, the U of TULIP is unconditional election. What's that getting at? Um, Is there reason or what does it mean for God to save us? 
I guess, like, is there reason or something that we did in order to deserve it? Yeah. So to give an example of conditional election, um, if we were having a church picnic and getting ready for a dodgeball game uh, and you have team captains, I would do what is called conditional election. Yeah. So I would like, okay, who looks spry and athletic and like they can throw well and Danny. dodge well and catch well? Danny's uh, <laughs> overrated. Whatever. <laughs> um, I'd probably pick either uh, Jonathan or Josiah, I, um, I'm guessing. My first uh, pick is Danny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Danny's pretty good too. But uh, who I would not pick... Um, would be uh, my son Jason. Yeah. Um, he's just like drooling and um, trying his very hardest not to chew his fingernails. One of my favorite parts of toddlers is when they try to throw the ball forward and somehow it goes backwards. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's talent of another sort. Uh, so yeah, they, there are qualities that I look for mm-hmm. and, and um, I'm like that person's better than this person. Uh, based on those conditions, I am electing, I am choosing that person. Uh, election of politicians, yeah. we, we call that election. Um, and we uh, we vote for the person that we think is going to be better than the alternatives. Yeah. Based on um, the platform and the criteria in which they're running yes. behind. So, uh, in contrast, the exact photographic negative of that is how God chooses. Mm-hmm. So he he is completely um, uncaring and unconcerned about your ethnic background, your socioeconomic status, yeah. your moral goodness. Um, and he looks on uh, this uh, human race full of carcasses and he chooses to save some. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the two biggest things in this for me is whenever I'm sharing the gospel with people, it seems like one of the first avenues that the talk goes down is, (laughs) uh, especially around here, we live in like a really good, safe, morally pretty upstanding community of like, well, I'm good. Why would a God who is also good send me to hell? Like... Uh, so that morality part is taken out of it. No, you're a sinner. Uh, all the way across, we're all sinners. We all need to be saved. Yeah. Um, which helps quite a bit. And then uh, another thing that it, I guess I come across is that because that's the platform, there's nothing that then, which we'll get into in the other letters, like there's nothing then that I can do or say on my checklist to make it better for me to be saved than the next person. So. Right. Uh, there, yeah, there's no merit uh, that would, would draw him to any of us. And one of the things that Romans is one of the dominant um books of the Bible on all of these topics. Uh, and one of the key things going on there is ethnic. So mm-hmm. the, the Jews had this sense that God, that they sincerely and deeply believed that God loved them more than he loved the other nations. Mm-hmm. And so he, Paul over and over and over again uh, has to keep coming back to this whole, no, it, it's... 
I love who I love and I choose who I choose. And so Romans 8 and 9 are a couple key uh, chapters. I encourage you to read the whole, uh, that whole section. Just a little excerpt though uh, here first from Romans 8. We know uh, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So that's called the chain of redemption. And it goes from eternity past to eternity future. And notice again who the one doing the action is. It's God. Um, he's the one who saves full stop. Yeah. <laughs> um, just a real quick, uh, we won't read the whole section of Romans 9, but um, Paul goes out of his way to specify uh, the the two characters he's talking about um, and where it all kind of gets to. He's, he says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And before that, he's like, before they're born, before one, they did anything good or bad. But it had nothing to do with their merit or their good looks or anything. He, he chose sovereignly one over the other. And he actually chose the opposite of what human society yeah. chooses. Because he said the the uh, older will serve the younger and that was backwards for that culture especially yeah um the next letter in our tulip acronym is l hey there so this week alex and i were apparently kind of long-winded so we're going to break up this calvinism episode into two parts so make sure that you come back next week to pick up right where we left off